comfortable. Just a couple of, uh, well, an announcement for, this is actually for the men. On Saturday the 25th of March, we're going to have some uh, carefully set aside men's time and we're going to really sharpen each other up. It's not something we do very often as men. The ladies tend to be a bit better than us than we are, but we're going to get together as men and we are going to uh, encourage each other in the faith because we want to have strong men in the church as we want strong women in the church. So men, 25th of March, that'll be a morning to early afternoon. Just love you to have that in your diaries. Uh, okay, I want to welcome my good friend Adrian Horner up and let's give him a warm welcome. So Adrian, um, I first came across Adrian in 2016. I was just uh, coming in to start leading the church here and uh, I'd never actually met Adrian and he had not met me and he didn't even know there was a church here and he was it in Bury St. Edmunds, I think you were in Tesco's. Tesco Car Park. Tesco yeah. Car Park. And uh, the Lord started to speak to him a little bit about, about a church here. So he contacted Morris to find out if we had a church here. And what he shared was, was really quite something in terms of exactly what was happening in terms of the leadership transition in Kingsgate. And I'd never come across uh, this before. So I said to my friend John Putman, I mentioned John, to John Putman about, about Adrian. And I don't know if you know this, but it, John and said, okay, well, I'm going to see Adrian. You come along as well. So I got the train to Cambridge to see Adrian with John. And I was having my time with John. And John just walks up to Adrian and says, hey, Adrian, do you mind if David joins us today? I had no, he had no idea that I was coming along. No, no, no. Yeah. That's what John's for, for you. But anyway, Adrian, he serves uh, our family of churches, which is Relational Mission, and the wider New Frontiers family prophetically. And it's just a real privilege to have Adrian with us this morning and Corinne as well. And um, Adrian's becoming a, a very good friend uh, of mine as well. So great to have you. I'm going to pray you. for you. Yeah, And then please. I'll let you, let you loose. Yeah, Father. Yeah, yeah, Father, we just thank you for Adrian and for Corinne, Lord. Father, we want to pray you bless them while they're with us today, Lord God. And Father, I want to pray. Uh, I stand at the door and knock. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches, Lord. So Father, would you open our ears, our minds, our eyes, Lord, to hear and see this morning and to learn and to be encouraged and to be transformed. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for your welcome. Morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, I just want um, to introduce Corinne. And uh, so, 35 years married, three kids, two grandkids. And uh, I know I only look in my 30s, but uh, <laughs> I'd just like to honour, I want to honour Norman and, and his wife, but also Frank. I don't know if any of you were here decades back, Frank Gamble. Was anyone around in that time here in the church? Yeah, so you know, I was part of New Frontiers and you know, the Terry and his, his band, um, well, Terry and his gathering, it wasn't so much a band, was it? but <laughs> uh, just in the 80s and hearing of Frank and all that he was walking through his family, but the, the foundation that he has laid in you and uh, we just honour that continuation of God's work. Um, so it's a privilege to be here. Does this sound all right to you? Okay, fantastic. <coughs> so I want to take us on a quick whistle-stop tour from Genesis to Revelation. So are you okay with that? Have we got time? So if I talk really fast. But what I wanted to do is just zoom out. You know, sometimes you see on the TV and quizzes, you zoom in and you can see a little bit and they say, what is it? And you think, oh, I don't really know. But as you zoom out, you think, oh, that's what it, it was a tree all along or a face or, or whatever it is. Sometimes with scripture, we can be so zoomed in, we're learning our verses and all the rest. 
We're, we're, we're eating scripture, we're growing in it, but we can miss the big picture. And scripture's full of several large pictures that are strengthening to us. Because when you see the large picture, when you see through a small hole, through a fence, you can, can't see very far, can't you? Uh, it, it's not very... Um, it's just a microcosm, something quite zoomed in. But when you see the bigger scene, you remove the fence. Ah, oh, okay, it all makes sense now. And so I want you to, I want us to catch a sense of God's big picture for us, His church. And to do that, we want to go right back to the beginning. So you ready? So you know, we may not cover every book of the Bible. There's quite a few, but we want to. I want to cover the theme, if you like, the river of God. Uh, that Ellie prophesied or uh, um, interpreted that prayer, Lord, let your river flow. I think, where is it? Why, why are we so interested and passionate about a church of the Spirit now? So I want to go back to Genesis. So the creation, who's hovering over the earth? The Spirit of God over the earth, formless and empty. Genesis 1, right at the start, the Spirit of God was hovering over this planet. He was hovering over it. And then God makes man, and he walks in the garden. You can read in Genesis 3 that God is walking in the garden. He has, he has unfettered relationship. There are no barriers between him and the people he has made. Openness. God's presence with them in the garden. The garden and these people, they're in the temple. They're in the presence of God. They're in the place where God dwells, and he walks with them. They have fellowship with the Father. They have an open access to him. We could call it, it's like a temple. We could call it the place of meeting. It's in the garden. What a wonderful place. But we know through Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they chose sin. They rejected God. They said, we will do it our way. And as a result, there was separation from that garden that we live in the consequence. Still, still, but God has a plan. God raised up several people. There was a guy called Jacob. He was a deceiver. He was a dishonest guy, one of the two brothers. He stole his brother's inheritance. But actually, God met him on a mountain. He laid his head on a stone. And in the night, he had a vision of a dream of a ladder, angels going up and down it. He wakes in the morning. He says, this is, this is none other than the place of God. This is Bethel, the house of God. And he blessed the stone in the place. He was seeing something. God and man interacted. This separation, it's, it's not going to last. And then God raises up Moses. And Moses, the son of the... Uh, he's brought up by Pharaoh, not quite the son of Pharaoh. But he, he sins, he's hasty, but he's led into the desert. And then the desert, one day, there's a burning bush, isn't there? Remember the burning bush? It's burning and Moses goes to see what is going on. Why is it not disintegrating? And God speaks. The presence of God comes to Moses in the backside of the desert. Moses, the place where you're standing is holy ground. I'm calling you. The presence of God. And by the way, Moses, I'm going to give you specific instructions about where I will meet you. I'm going to give you instructions of a tent. And it's going to be this high, this wide, and it's going to have this many curtains. And this is what you put in it, and it is very precise. If you've been going through the Bible in a year, you might be around that sort of phase at the minute. What are all these measurements? The place where God would meet with man, or particularly with Moses, is not up for us to choose. 
but it's for him determined. And God says, this is how it will be. And they make the furniture. And Moses goes into the tent, and the presence of God comes down. The people see that, um, Exodus 33. The people see Moses going. They bow on their faces, but only Moses goes, goes in. And we read, when he comes out, his face is glowing. When he comes out, someone else stays in there because he takes his companion, Joshua. Joshua lingers in this temple, the presence of God. And you see this river, it was first in the garden, separate from the garden, but now Moses has seen the bush, now Moses has got this temple. And wherever the people go, they're following this pillar of fire and the cloud. The presence of God is among his people. But if we want to access, we can see it over there, and we can see that Moses encounters God in the temple. What must it be like? Actually, if you read Genesis, most uh, and Exodus, the people say, actually, great, you go, Moses. We're really happy that you go and meet God. Yeah, you go up the mountain. We're staying here. There was a sense of um, utter fear of, of God. But Moses spoke with God face to face. And then we read through uh, Exodus where God, uh, Moses appoints other leaders. The Spirit comes on those. You can read the story in Numbers. The Spirit of God comes on different people, 70 of them. A couple of them aren't even in the meeting and they're prophesying outside the camp. And people come back and say, this is outrageous. It's like God has broken outside the camp. And Moses said, actually, would not all God's people were prophets? He wasn't worried that actually it spilled out because he had an inkling of what was coming. Stay with me and we're here too. So God's people following the pillar they see this temple being carried around. They know that it's a holy place. Moses, you go in. God raises up another, King David. King David has it in his heart to meet with God and to build something. And build something of, not of animal skins, but of stone. This temple. David is anointed. Samuel the prophet comes and says, you're an anointed one. He pours oil on his head. David's anointed. He's a shepherd king he's like letting us know something's coming he's an anointed one it wasn't David that built the temple but it was his son Solomon who built it massive stone temple a tiny little bit of it still lasts to this day in the city of Jerusalem and in two chronicles when Solomon has built this temple guess what the spirit of God comes down so much so that everybody in it, all the humans in it, like have to leave. The priests have to say, we can't stay in this building. The presence, the smoke, the fire of God uh, is uh, it's utterly overwhelming for them. So they leave, but God comes down among his people. And it was wonderful for those that were like nearby. It was terrifying, but wonderful. I mean, us, if we had been here a couple of thousand years ago in the UK, we think, how do we meet God? It happening over in Jerusalem. How would we meet God? The priests were anointed. The Spirit came on them. But what about us? God had a story to continue. God starts to raise up different people that have this vision of something that is like beyond what the Jews understand. So the Jews have got a culture. They're living in Palestine. So they know that you go to the temple, you go to Jerusalem. It's the holy place. It's God's city, as they called it. A guy called Isaiah comes 
And he starts to prophesy about a shepherd, but actually not just a shepherd, but a lamb that's going to suffer and be killed as a sacrifice. But he also spoke of an anointed one. The prophet Isaiah says, there's an anointed one. The spirit of the sovereign Lord on me has anointed me to preach good news. There's an anointed one. And the language of the Messiah grew, anointed one. That was an expectation. From that. There was an anointed one going to come. And through the prophecies, there was a sense of this anointed one's going to come and he's going to bring victory and freedom. And he's going to bring um, emancipation and deliverance for God's people. But he was an anointed one. Another prophet comes, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel has visions of tragedy, the spirit of God leaving a temple. But then you get to Ezekiel 47, the spirit of God comes back and from the temple comes this river. It starts quite narrow. Ezekiel sees this river and it's as narrow and someone's leading him in his vision alongside. He's taking him on an adventure. He says, come alongside and you'll see that it's getting deeper. And they walk some bit more and it's wider and it's deeper. And this, the, this angelic uh, person in his dream says, come deeper. Come, come further until it's so wide you can't cross. And Ezekiel the prophet ponders this. And the Spirit of God is saying, it's coming from the temple. It's a place that's going to make salt water fresh. And there's going to be, there's fishermen all along the bank. And they're catching many sorts of fish. What is this? A river. A river. Wider. Healing for nations. The kingdom. And then this guy Joel comes up. Joel, prophet Joel. And he says, I just see something about in the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Remember this verse. Remember that verse. We could read many times in through the prophets. Read them. They're full of the promises of God. Something's coming. Bless them. All the writers thought something is coming, but we haven't got a clue what it is. What, what, what could it be? Is a Messiah going to come? He's going to rescue us. Spirit poured out. Yeah, come and pour your spirit out on us, the Jews. Keep us right with you. On their good days, they prayed that. Let me read the New Testament. Thousands, uh, a couple of hundred years have gone by, and now something happened. A star, a sign. And at the start of Matthew, you would have read this in January maybe, through the year, that Matthew and Luke record a, a dynasty, a line of people, and they, they include David, this king, and they go back saying, this is an anointed one, an anointed one. There's a king being born and an anointed one. We know Jesus, born of a woman. This child, this baby, grows in anonymity. Is that right? Anonymity. He, he's not seen, he's not visible. But one day he stands up, he goes to a synagogue and he rolls out a scripture and he, he's reading that prophecy that Isaiah wrote about the spirit of the Lord and everyone's listening because they know this is like the promise of a Messiah. Jesus reads it, the spirit of the Lord's on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight for the blind, freedom for the captives. And then he says, actually, and this is 
fulfilled today in your presence. They all knew what that passage was about. And they all knew this guy is like connecting himself with his promises of this Messiah to come. Now Jesus starts to act in some ways like the Messiah they thought. So the Messiah was going to do certain things. And Jesus acts like that, but then he also does some other things that aren't like our Messiah. He's not, like, he's, not, he's not leading an army against the Romans. We don't understand that. Jesus, you seem to be spending all your time with the wrong people. Come, you need to be spending time with the influential and to bring some victory and change to our nation. But Jesus is spending it with the poor and the broken, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. But wherever he goes, Jesus does this stuff like the leper gets the Spirit of God poured out. People meet God. Jesus is talking about through me you meet the Father. And that causes them great angst. And you can't say that. That's 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 um heresy. Thank you. That's that's heretical. You cannot say God is your father. That's like making you and God one. Mm-hmm. Jesus would say. But wherever he went, he's like the walking temple, isn't he? It is a place where people are meeting God. If you met Jesus, we know you met God. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the dwelling place of God. And in fact, he says, see that temple over there when he's in Jerusalem? He says, you don't need it. It's going to get knocked down. It's going to get raised. And God's going to raise up a new temple in three days. And everyone thinks, well, it took a long time to build that. How are you going to do it? You're crazy. We know what he meant. The temple where we used to go and Solomon and the priests went, it's not needed anymore because I'm the temple. You meet God through me. Wherever I am, you meet God. And that was great for if you're in Jerusalem or Nazareth and all those areas. But what about us in the UK or any other nation? How do we meet God? Jesus gathers some men around him and says, The Spirit will be on you. He breathes on them. He appoints 12, and then he appoints 72. Do you remember the 72 that Moses appointed? It's like, Jesus, you're the 12. 12 you're, you're like following the old pattern, but you're doing something new. Jesus appoints 72, and he said, I'm going to send you to all nations. But mostly they think, okay, we're just here to serve the Jews, because that was their parameter. That was what they knew. But Jesus is saying something more. He says... Before you go, I want you to wait for power. I want you to wait for power. Yeah, okay, we can, we can wait for power. Jesus says, wait for power. I'll ask the Father. He's going to give you another comforter. He says, wait for power. And we know they go. Acts 2. It was quite quick, fortunately, wasn't it? We've gone through. We're in, we're in Acts now. Acts chapter 2. They're waiting in the upper room and they're praying each day. Great. You know, prayer meetings are good for a couple of days. They were really exciting. At the end of the first week, maybe some say, should we keep going? Yeah, Jesus says keep going. They're praying. They're praying. They're praying because Jesus told us. But We've been praying a fortnight now. What about, how long are we going to? Well, Jesus says keep praying. So they're praying. Then it goes on for weeks and weeks. They don't know that Acts chapter 2 suddenly is coming. They just wait. Have you been in that season sometimes where you're asking God? You think, Lord... I felt you say to me, I felt you called me, but I'm, I'm ready to give up. It doesn't seem like you're answering. These guys and ladies with them, they were praying in this upper room. Suddenly, Acts chapter 2, 
on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the place where they were sitting. Look, what looked like flames or tongues of fire came and rested upon them. Remember the flames of fire for Moses' burning bush? Remember the flames of fire that came into the temple of Solomon? Now it's on people in this upper room. And everyone was present, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. The Spirit comes with fire. People are confused. They spill out on the street. They're talking in different languages. People can hear them. Think, what, is, what is all this about? This, is, this hasn't happened before. This isn't like a normal Sunday. Peter stands up. Lord, thank you that you spoke through him and you made sense. You brought something from the Old Testament. And he says, actually, this is what Joel meant. When Joel wrote about in the last days, that's today. It's happening. People prick their ears up. They knew the Old Testament prophecies. The Spirit of the Lord is going to be poured out on all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Peter quotes directly and says, it's now. Now's the season of the Spirit being poured out. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. What We thought Old Testament, special people, Samuel, different priests, they're the ones who prophesy. They're the ones who the Spirit is on. King David, he's like a special person doing a special job. The Holy Spirit is on him. But now Joel's saying it's going to be poured out on sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. On all flesh. Your servants. Something happened. Something happened. The Spirit of God burst its banks. I thought, great, Holy Spirit, come and fill all the Jews. We want to be blessed. Many thousands of Jews became Christians. Then there's a season where Peter is traveling. He's in the upper room. He's hungry. He sees a vision. And so as curtain comes down, it's filled with like pigs and things. And voice from heaven says, eat these pigs. Now, Paul, uh, Peter's a good Jew. Think, I don't eat pork. But the Spirit keeps telling him. But it's not really about his lunch. The Spirit is saying, I want you to go with some people that are coming. And people come from Cornelius' house. Why is that important? Because now the Spirit of God jumps out of Judaism, of the Jewish people, and it jumps to people like most of us, Gentiles. It jumps out. And Peter goes with them, and he's telling them about Jesus. They're asking. And he's maybe a bit uncomfortable because they're Romans, they're pagans, but they seem to want to know about Jesus. These aren't Jewish people that have like done all the washing, but the Spirit of God falls on the people while he's talking. Get that? He says, I haven't even finished, and the Spirit comes on them, and they start speaking in tongues and prophesying. What am I going to tell the guys back in Jerusalem, which they ask him to? What happened? You went to the Gentiles, and he tells the story, the tent, uh, the curtain, the pigs. And I was speaking, and the Holy Spirit came on them, just like it did for us. Do you remember guys in that upper room? What's happening? Spirit of God being poured out on all flesh. And we can read through the book of Acts. Wonderful book. The Spirit of God jumps out of the Jewish culture and it starts to break out into other nationalities. Greeks, Romans, 
it starts to break and spread further. People are getting filled with the Spirit. Another guy comes, a guy called Paul, called Saul. The Spirit of God comes to him. He's a Christ hater. He's a terrorist. He wants to kill Christians, but the Spirit of God stops him and calls him and sends him. The Spirit of God comes. There's a man called Philip. He's chosen. They need some volunteers in the, temp, in the church at Jerusalem. And Philip is like called to, can you help serve the food for the widows? Great thing. He serves food. But very quickly we read, Philip's now an evangelist. What an encouragement for those of us that serve, making tea or coffee or whatever it is we serve, that God also is able to send and release, call you much, much wider. So maybe start with the tea and coffee and see what God will do. Philip, he's preaching, seeing demons come out of people. Massive number of people finding Jesus. The apostles go and check it out and they say, okay, followers of Jesus, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. They knew these people need it like we needed it. And they lay hands on them. People receive the Spirit. Paul, he travels, he comes to a town he's of Ephesus and he finds nine believers. I think it's nine or is it seven? I think he finds a, a handful of believers and he says to them, did you receive the Spirit? Really important question to ask as we disciple believers into the kingdom. Did you receive the Spirit? Have you received the Spirit? Now, one, shockingly, they say, um, oh, we didn't even know there was one. <laughs> what course did they go on? This needs rewriting. Paul says to them, what, were you baptized? Another really important question to ask on our Alpha courses and at the end um, of leading believers to, to Christ. Baptism. And they said, well, yeah, like, like following John, Peter, uh, Paul says there's another one. Get baptized in water, repentance, and then he lays hands on them and they're filled with the Spirit. From that handful of men in the room, suddenly a massive church grows. Many, many people on the coast of Turkey, uh, on modern-day Turkey, are brought into salvation. What's happened? The Spirit of God, this river, remember the garden, God walking, this river, God walking the garden has now come. It's burst its banks and it's come to here also in very St. Edmunds. Get that. The river of God has come. Not just to bear his hand, but it's come to where you live. Because when the Spirit of God comes on you, guess what? Now, who are the anointed ones? Who are the anointed? Who's the anointed ones? You. Okay, we know Christ is. He has preeminence. He's the anointed one. But now, he anoints us with the same Spirit. You haven't got a B or C version. You have got the same spirit that was on Christ is upon us. We sang it. So who's an anointed one? You are. If you're in Christ, you are anointed one. Kingsgate Church, as the gathered people, now you are the anointed ones together in this town and with others around in, in other worshipping communities. Now the spirit of God is on us. Is on us. So that's why we gather and sing and welcome and we make space. We don't just, well, let's bring our thoughts, let's bring our understanding. No, we come, we say, Holy Spirit, speak to us through Scripture. Speak to us in moments of stillness. 
bring prophetic word to us. Let, your, uh, let the gifts of the Spirit come. Because if we're the temple of God, the anointed ones, we can expect God to be active among us. That was a shock to me when I was growing up as a child and a teenager, brought up in, a, in churches that would more teach Father, Son and Holy Scripture. And it was much less a sense of God is active. I remember being in a meeting the first time when I heard somebody clap. I was offended. And I heard someone say, hallelujah. And I was like, what is that? I've been used to singing some good truth, some hymns and hearing Bible teaching. But I'm like, what's this? This is like sounding like over-enthusiasm. <laughs> and a friend said to me, Adrian, you need the power of God, the baptism of the Spirit. Uh, in, I was a, quite an embarrassed Christian. And so I said, oh, okay. Without any preparation, he just said, let me pray for you. And, he, and like he's talking... What is that language? Is he's not praying in English, but as he prayed, just the spirit of God just filled my heart and stirred me, and it was like all his love all at once, and the, my smallness, his greatness, his love and mercy, and it just like popped a fuse in my head, and I just began to cry. Oh Lord, you love me so much. The spirit of God came into my life and filled me. Now as a believer, but now it's like. I, Okay, this is what it's about. As I prayed that night, I, Lord, I'm talking to you. You're the one in the book. It's like meeting him. I'd met him. I'd given my life to him, been baptized in water. But the baptism in the Spirit opened me up. I said, Lord, it's you. It brought a, a whole new depth. I didn't understand many things, but I knew, I mean, this is Jesus I'm meeting. It brought praise. It stirred me to like lift my hands. And as I began to groan, I thought, Lord, I want to pray in tongues. And I got my friend to pray for me that I would be able to speak in languages. Just a prayer language. I got a stirring in my heart. Lord, I want to speak your, the Bible calls it like prophecy. I, want to, I just had a sense that God wants to say this to this person or about this situation. I can remember as a student bringing that like knees knocking. I think God wants to say this to us. And it's just like, my dear children, I love you and I'm with you. Lord, just God's presence came. So we're the people of God. We're part of this big story. Sometimes we think, Lord, what, what's my part in this? See, our part is to live as anointed ones, receiving the Spirit daily, be going on being filled with the Spirit. Or maybe it's to start, Lord, fill me today. Or maybe it's, well, I want to follow you. This, this, this is an adventurer that I want to be part of. This is like white water rafting. This isn't going to church and doing the stuff and turning the handle. This is following you. This is a journey of following you where I can listen to you. And you say you're sheep. Us, we hear your voice. Lord, show me about this. Show me about this person. What's your heart for this? We find God leads us because we're part of this story, the river filling the earth. Right at the end, said we do Genesis to Revelation. Right at the end, book of Revelation, the Apostle John has a vision and he sees a river. He sees the river wide and on its banks are trees and the leaves on the trees are for the healing of the nation. He sees the fulfillment that this river of God is also the dwelling place of God. It's, it's filling the earth. And he hears a voice, and the voice from heaven says, 
now the dwelling place of God is with men. Now the dwelling place of God is with men. See, friends, this anointing, it's not about tingling, shaking. Maybe we do that, maybe we don't. It is about power. It is about an, energize, an energizing of God to do something. But I think primarily what God always wanted was the Spirit of God to be one with us out of relationship. He wants relationship. He's a Father that wants to come and live in us. Jesus says that's what we do. We're moving. The anointing isn't just about, oh, so I can do stuff. Although it does bring fruit. I think primarily God wants to dwell with you and I so that as you pray this afternoon, this evening, as you meet with other believers, say, God is with us. He's with us. Lord, we love you. We gather to you. Feed us. Strengthen How do you send us? What do you want calling us to do? So I want to invite you, wherever you are at in this journey of the Spirit, we open our hearts to the relationship with him. We open our lives to, Lord, I'm, I'm in this. I don't know quite where it will lead me, but I'm in. Lord, come and fill me afresh with your Spirit. Come and satisfy my soul. Lord, I want to be stirred. And as we gather on Sundays or in life group, in, in little groups, as we do things, Lord, I want you to be speaking. As I pray with my non-Christian friends, would you give gifts of healing? Would you bring revelation that helps unlock their lives? Because I'm anointed like you were, and you're with us. You're with me. So can we pray? <coughs> Feels like a good thing to do on a Sunday morning when we're all together. So, Holy Spirit, why don't we stand? Are we right for time, Dave? Are we okay? Ten to, ten to three. Are we okay? I'm a guest and I don't want to outstay my welcome, but Holy Spirit, would you come wherever you're at in this journey? Maybe it's for the first time. So Holy Spirit, would you come and fill my life? following you but it's been a dry journey Holy Spirit would you fill my life just sense that there's some folks here and this is the opportunity for you today to be filled with the Spirit what happened in Acts happens still today it happened to me it's happened to many people in this room sometimes with outward activity sometimes it's a very quiet thing but the Holy Spirit moved in oh Lord come Holy Spirit and fill us fall afresh on us come come on us let's just wait a moment let's just invite you to stand Come Holy Spirit and fill us and lead us. The Spirit of Christ, the wonderful, beautiful Christ Jesus. His Spirit. Come and fill us.
Hashem fill us. Come and fill us, Lord. Come and fill Kingsgate. Friends, all that God has called you to be and do won't happen by just us working hard to reach this nation and the nations. It needs an anointing. Jesus still says, wait for the power. Wait for my enabling before you go. Whether that's to your work tomorrow, your family, we still need the Spirit of God. Come, Lord. As we just stand in God's presence, sometimes we feel things, some, not everyone, but it may be you're just a sense of just God on me. I haven't quite got the words, but it's like God on me. Oily hands, your heart thumps, could be all sorts, like sense of God's weight on our shoulders. I'd love to pray for you. We're going to pray for many people. I'm sure, but if that's you, just come forward. I'm God's in the room, but just there's a bit more space. Just come to the front here, and we want to pray. We want to follow where God is leading. So there's a sense of God's on me right now. You don't need to say anything. We're just going to pray for you. Just come up right now. Don't be shy. Sense of God's spirit resting on you. Shall I be a, a number of people? Great, just come forward and 